Hey guys, today on the podcast, I am talking with Dr. Ellen Langer. Uh, Dr. Langer is the mother of mindfulness, and today we are talking about her new book, The Mindful Body, and we really dive into her mind-body unity theory. Um, this is, well, first of all, this book, you, you want it. Um, it is so hopeful uh, and packed with hopeful science, if that's a thing. But man, she's using science to show that our minds are capable of helping us heal. Uh, they're also capable of helping us unheal. Um, they can cause disease, but they can also cause us to heal and be as strong and healthy and happy as we absolutely want to be. And she really goes into how this works and so many wonderful uh, case studies, um, documented research and science to actually prove her mind-body unity theory, which I guess if you can prove it, it's not really a theory. But I, I got to tell you guys, uh, Dr. Langer is, she is a breath of fresh air. Um, you're really going to love this show. She's, uh, she, this is her second appearance on the show. I absolutely love talking to her. I learn from her every single time. Um, this book is amazing. It's called The Mindful Body. I'll have the, the links or the note. <laughs> the link to the book will be in the notes of the show. Um, so guys, uh, you're, this is the show you want to listen to. But before we go, a word from our sponsor. So uh, the, one of the keys to living your best life ever and to feeling amazing in your own body is to actually move your body every day. And speaking of mind-body unity, the better you move, the better you feel, the better you think, the better you're and healthier your mind is. So you can approach it two ways. You can try to approach the body with the mind or you can try to approach the mind with the body. So a daily movement program is a way to approach your mind and your body. So you need to run on down to osionline.com and check out the Daily 21's movement program. And you know what? I challenge you to buy this program and try it for 21 days. Give it the old college try or the new college try or if you're in high school you can do it still anyway but try it every day for 21 days and see if you do not feel better be your own researcher your own scientist put this to the test move every day for 21 days with the daily 21s which is also 21 reps uh, you know what it's only going to cost you a dollar a day for one dollar a day for 21 days you're going to feel really good and you're going to feel so good you want to you're going to want to continue this program every day in fact daily for 21 days and beyond to infinity and beyond 21 days um every day forever yeah definitely definitely 21 days forever anyway guys check out the daily 21s at osionline.com all right thanks so much for putting up with me i really appreciate you and now back to the show Pull up a chair and buckle up. It's the Original Strength Podcast. Dr. Langer, thank you so much for being on the show with me. My pleasure, Tim. So you have recently written another wonderful book called The Mindful Body. Um, and I, I think of all your books, that's probably my favorite. Oh, that's nice to hear. You know, I mean, your books in some sense are like your children and you're not supposed to have favorites. But right now, lots of people have said that um, this is the best. So that feels good. I do. I think it's like, I don't know, it's like a crescendo of everything you've done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, and it just resonates uh, so much with me. Like I, last year I had this weird thought that your body, you've never had a thought that your body doesn't know about. Right. Right. And, and that's I mean, hard it, for people to understand. Yeah. 
but reading your book, you kind of lay it out there. Like I've, I've really never had a thought that my body is not aware of. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the point um, to make that clear to people is that the mind and body are best seen as one unit. And so if any part of you is reacting to anything, every part of you is reacting. Now, sometimes the reactions are very subtle. So, you know, we can't measure it because we don't have the technology to date. You know, so if you're thinking a good thought versus a bad thought, um, it's there. And eventually we'll be able to, um, to show you exactly what the thought is. But, you know, the problem for people has been, and the world has spoken for years about mind and body. Mm -hmm. And when you see them as two separate things, you know, it's hard to know how you get from a thought to something material, the body. Once you put it back together, the two pieces, there's nothing to concern yourself with. You know, it's sort of at Tim is here or Tim is not here. It's not part of you is here and part of you isn't. And, you know, it's interesting because my first experience this was so many years ago and it was the kind of thing, you know, one doesn't remember as you get older, everything that's happened to you. You, know, you couldn't remember everything because it would get in the way of actually living in the moment. But certain things uh, stay with you. So I was married when I was very young. And let me say for people who are listening, the book started off as a memoir. So there are lots of personal stories that for better or worse, I've included. Now, this is one. So I was married at 19 and we went to Paris for a honeymoon. And now, you know, I was 19 going on 50. Very, very sophisticated. Now I think I'm probably 76 going on 19. But it's probably about so right. <laughs> At any rate, um, so we're in this restaurant and I order a mixed grill. One of the items on the mixed grill was pancreas. So I said to my then husband, who is more worldly than I, which of these things is the pancreas? He points to something. And I'm a big eater. I eat everything else. You know, with gusto, excitement, now comes the moment of truth. Could I get myself to eat the pancreas? And uh, I became literally nauseated. I mean, sick to my stomach. I couldn't do it. He starts laughing. And I said, why are you laughing? <clears throat> he said, uh, that's chicken. You ate the pancreas ages ago. Okay, so here I'm eating you know, something I eat all the time and becoming sick. Um, I, I was uh, giving a talk yesterday, and the next story I told to explain some of the mind-body unity theory that I mentioned was another pancreas story. I don't know how many people have even one pancreas story, but I seem to have two. So the other is a little more serious, or a lot more serious. So my mother had breast cancer, and the cancer had metastasized to her pancreas. That's the end game. And then magically, it was gone. Now, the medical world couldn't explain it then. This was many years ago and can't explain it now. The mind-body unity theory can explain it. It can explain how you take a placebo, which is a nothing, right, a sugar pill. By definition, it's inert, has no effect. You take it, and then all of a sudden, you're better. So it's not the pill that's making you better. You're making yourself better. And uh, a goal of my uh, long career now has been to see how to give us this control more directly. You know, why do we need a physician to make believe he's doing something for us to, for us to heal? And um, the book, The Mindful Body, suggests a way for us to do that for ourselves. But anyway, so I had these two personal experiences, and then 
many, many studies. And some of them are really you know, incredible, I think. You know, um, yes. I, if I'm allowed to say that, I'm not saying they're smart. It's just, you know, the results. No, they're are, incredible. Okay, thank <laughs> you. You can say it. <laughs> when I talk about the very first test of the mind-body unity, it was the counterclockwise study. And this one I can say, this is a famous study. Because if you want to hear about it, you tune into uh, The Simpsons Go to Havana. And they actually talk about it. But this is a study where we did this a long time ago, where we retrofitted a retreat to 20 years earlier and had old men live there as if they were their younger selves. So they spoke about the past and the present tense. Everything said, you know, this isn't now, this was then. As a result of this, their hearing improved, their vision improved, their strength improved, their memory, and they looked noticeably younger. And all of this was without any medical intervention. So now fast forward, um, I don't want to take all our time together today to tell you all the studies, and I hope people will read the mindful body so they can see them. Let me just give you um, one other, okay? okay. Uh, so this was, I gave you the first, this is the most recent. We inflict a wound, not a big wound, because we didn't want to really hurt people, even though it would have made for more dramatic results, but so we wound people. They're sitting in front of a clock. So for a third of the people, the clock is going twice as fast as real time. For a third of the people, the clock is going half as fast as real time. For a third of the people, the clock is real time. Now, most people would assume, I think, that yeah, the wound is going to heal when the wound is going to heal based on real time. But it turns out that what uh, what was most effective was the clock time, perceived time. So when you perceived a lot of time has passed, the wound was much more healed uh, than when um, it was real time or it was taking forever. And um, so lots of these studies, we have a study with, um, I wasn't going to tell you, but I feel compelled, just one other, with diabetes. So we have, and it's also another clock study. I, I think that once I get into using something, I just keep doing it. So a clock series. So um, we have people come to the lab who have type 2 diabetes, and we take all sorts of measures. And then we ask them to sit down at the computer, and they're going to play computer games. And we have a clock next to the computer, and they're told, switch the game, change the game you're playing every 15 minutes or so. And that's just to ensure that they'll look at the clock. And this was the first, the first real clock study. Um, for a third of the people, the clock was twice as fast as real time. For a third, half as fast. And for a third, real time. And what we found was blood sugar level followed, again, perceived time. The amount of control these studies suggest that we have over our health um, is far beyond what most of us think. And that's the reason I was eager to write this book to, in some sense, wake us up to uh, the ways we can take care of ourselves. So our minds really can shape our reality, but much more than that, our physical well-being. Right, because remember, it's all one. You know, um, and, you know, so lots of the book talks about um, psychology, which, again, is not separate. You know, it's, it's all one thing and mistaken, um, a mistake in the way people understand some of the things that they do every day. You know, so one of these is about decision making. And, you know, people are not responsible for the misunderstanding. I mean, this is what the experts teach us. You know, the way you're supposed to make a decision basically is to do a cost benefit analysis. 
And, you know, it sounds good uh, on paper, but it really doesn't work for several reasons. The first is that whether something is a cost or a benefit is in our heads. You know, uh, you might enjoy something that I find vital, you know, um, and so for you, it would be a benefit for me, a cost. And so because all of these costs and benefits are equal, you know, if you um, think of five costs and then you ask yourself, what are the benefits to those? Uh, you can't add them up because a plus one and a minus one, you end up with zero. So we can't really do cost-benefit analyses. Now, um, another important part of this is that prediction, predictability is an illusion. Okay, people think they can predict, but they can't. And I'll explain that if you remind me that I said that a moment ago. When you're making a decision, it's all about prediction, right? Should I have an apple or a pear? Now, you know, when you're trying to figure out which you should have, uh, you're making a prediction about the taste of that apple, presuming, for instance, that the last time you ate an apple will be the same taste, you know, it'll be as good as if you eat the apple again. Um, Decision-making relies on being able to predict. Should I go to the movies? Well, the only way you can make that decision with a cost-benefit analysis, as people typically do, is to um, assess their movie-going experience. Anyway, the larger point is that when you're gathering information to decide, should I do this or do that, there's no natural endpoint to it. Now, this is more complicated than many of the things that we might talk about. So let me just invite people to read the book. But they need, everybody needs the bottom line, which is rather than spend your time trying to make the right decision, make the decision right. Now, I had an advanced class, decision-making class I teach. These are Harvard students. And I said, okay, I want you to spend the week and don't make any decisions. You know, randomly select. Uh, flip a coin, decide in advance that um, the first option that comes to mind is the one you're going to take. Just don't do any of this cost benefit. And so they spend the week and I said, you know, if somebody comes up to you and says, excuse me, uh, I need a hand, can I cut off your arm? You know, you're going to say no, but that's not the life that most of us live. So they come back and um, they report it was a wonderful week. It was stress-free. Because for most people, when you're making decisions, the question is, you know, what if I make the wrong decision? You know, and so um, it's difficult. And, um, and what if people don't like the choice I made when I report to them that I bought this new house or whatever it is you did? If you make a decision randomly, which is very easy, right? Yeah. Come up with some rule. Oh, that sounds good. I'll take that without thinking about it. Now... Make that decision work. Engage in whatever that decision would suggest. You know, the mindfulness that I've been studying for 45 years, which is a very simple process of noticing new things. And as you notice new things, the neurons are firing, and all of this research has shown that it's literally and figuratively enlivening. So once you make that choice, you engage it, notice things about it, be there for it, and it will end up the right thing to do. Now, sometimes people regret the decisions that they make, and that's also mindless, because even on the face of it, you know, you can choose A or B. So you choose B. Oh, gosh, B is terrible. I should have chosen A. A could have been worse. 
And again, the more important piece is that neither are good or bad. Good or bad are in our heads. They're not in events, which again, gives us enormous control. You know that if you um, attend to many possibilities and notice things from different perspectives, we have all sorts of choices that our mindlessness keeps us from. So if, I, if anything I've said isn't clear, you asked me a question. I, I'm, I'm, I'm standing under your waterfall. I love it. Um, okay. So, no, and I, I took several notes on your book and uh, make the decision right was one of the notes that I highlighted. Um, you did you did say something else that I thought was beautiful because like people, well, disease happens um, and age happens, but 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 does it happen because of our mindset? And and you wrote this, you, you made this question in, in your book, um, like no matter what your diagnosis is, what if you were treated with the expectation that you would heal? Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, so we're doing a study now. I don't have the results yet, but you know, if something happens to you, and let's make it not so terrible, so you, you break your arm and, um, you know, you ask the doctor, so how long is it going to be like this? And they typically give you the norm. You know, for most people, it'll be whatever is said. And uh, so we're doing a study now where we have the physician tell people, some people heal as early as and give the quickest healing time. And I, um, I believe that we're going to get the results that with the expectation that you'll heal more quickly, you will heal more quickly. Um, we're oblivious to how our expectations control virtually everything we do. And um, if you open up those expectations, if you expect many different things, you know, just on the face of it, you're going to have a much richer life. So here's a question for you. Uh, you are obviously, you're the mother of mindfulness and you're like the, the master of, you're a master Jedi for, for, for being mindful. You know, I, I tell you, Tim, that my uh, grandkids, since they were five years old, I've persuaded them that I'm the cosmic leader. So yes. it's, it's beyond being the Jedi. <laughs> right on. Yes, I'm sorry. Um, but if, if you had a Padawan or if you were training someone like your grandkids up or someone named yeah. Tim, um, how, how can they start practicing being yeah. mindful? Like okay, you? well, yeah, um, I'm, thank you for asking me that because first of all, mindfulness as I studied is not a practice. It's just a way of being. So how do you get there? Once you recognize that everything is changing, everything looks different from different perspectives, you cannot know. And when you know you don't know, but you don't have to feel bad about knowing, you don't have to pretend you don't know because nobody knows. Then you naturally sit up and pay attention. So when I give talks, I often um, ask people questions that everybody thinks they know the answer to. So Tim, and I'm almost tired of saying this, but for the last time, you get my last question of this sort, Tim. How much is one in one? My instant inclination would be to tell you two right okay and that's what we're all taught in fact nobody questions it but one in one is not always two if you add one wad of chewing gum to one wad of chewing gum one plus one is one you add one pile of laundry to one pile of laundry one plus one is one you add one cloud to one cloud one plus one is one in fact, we can go back to the piles of laundry. If you add one pile of laundry to one pile of laundry to one pile of laundry, so that's one plus one plus one, the answer is still one. 
All right. And, um, and also that most of us are uh, oblivious to different number systems, but the one plus one, when it equals two, it's because of a base 10 number system. If you were using a base two number system, it would be written as 10. So now the simple thing becomes pretty complicated. Um, and what happens, and I hope this happens for you, Tim, the next time, which probably won't happen, somebody says, Tim Anderson, how much is one plus one? You're not going to just reflexively, mindlessly say two. You'll look at the situation and, you know, and whatever answer you'll give would probably be, it could be. It could be two, it could be one, it could be 10, right? And so that's the way we need to appreciate everything. So when you don't know you don't know, you naturally pay attention. All right, so that's the first way to become mindful. Now, it's hard for people to just accept that they don't know anything, although I thrive on it. <laughs> um, it, it what you do to uh, realize you don't know is take the things you know and ask yourself how it's different right now. You know, a, a person you're fond of, you know, you go into your roommate, your wife, husband, you know, whomever, and notice three new things about them. And when you do this, gee, you know, I, I didn't notice that before. They become more interesting. They can feel your interest and the relationship actually improves, right? So notice things about the things you think you know. And another thing that people don't realize when I say it's not a practice, it's very important because a practice, the way most people practice, most things they do, it's drudgery. You, know, you don't enjoy it. And mindfulness, this act of noticing is energy begetting, not consuming. It feels it's what you do when you're playing. And, um, you know, so you can be and should be mindful all the time. And when you are, we have lots and lots of data, as you referred to before, that shows you're likely to be healthier, happier, live longer. People will find you more charismatic, authentic. Um, and the things you do are considered better. It seems to leave its imprint on what we do. So I can say no reason since it's easy, it's fun, it feels good and it's good for you, um, why anyone would hesitate. That's awesome. And, and can being mindful like if, if I'm practicing mindfulness, is that, is that contagious to someone? Well, around? yeah, um, it is for several reasons. And one is a little woo woo. So, and which is the one you find interesting. I like, woo -woo. I, don't, I don't know that I'm going to talk about that, but you know, just in general that if I'm mindful, part of being mindful is that you're going to be non-evaluative. Because you, if you're looking at things from multiple perspectives, then when somebody does something, you're more aware of the sense that behavior makes. You know, so for me, you know, I'm very gullible. So you might not like me if I'm gullible. And if you're mindless and you think, oh God, people who are gullible are, and then fill in the blank. But if you're mindful and you ask yourself, well, what, what does that mean from her perspective? And then it turns out, being gullible is being trusting. Now you're going to like me, all right? Being inconsistent is being flexible. It turns out for every negative way of understanding a person, there's an equally strong uh, but oppositely balanced alternative. And nobody gets up in the morning and says, you know, today I'm going to be impulsive, inconsistent, um, you know, whatever. So what are they intending? 
And so since you now have at your disposal, you know, I can see you as inconsistent or I can see you as flexible. Why would I choose to see you as inconsistent? So you can see how the relationship would improve. So you you know, and you, you feel all of this, you know, that you just seem nicer and it's easier to be with people who are nicer. And then you open up because you feel safe. So that's one way. Um, but the way that is a little strange um, is that if you're mindful without doing anything, you don't even have to make eye contact. The people around you, uh, it seems, will become more mindful. You know, that um, I don't know uh, whether it's different energy one is putting out. You know, the Chinese talk about qi. And, um, and I don't understand much about it, but it does seem to be mindful. So we did a study in China where people are hooked up to machines and you have one person uh, is going to be mindful or mindless. And the other person is the research participant and they don't talk to each other. The mindful person is just there noticing something in the room to ensure that they're being mindful. And the other person, the real research participant becomes more mindful. Um, it's, That's awesome. um, yeah, well, it's wonderful, I think, in a, in a different way, because, you know, when you think, can I make everybody in this world mindful, it would be such a nice place for all of us. Because, Tim, you know, I believe that virtually everything that's wrong, whether it's personal, interpersonal, professional, global, is the direct or indirect effect of mindlessness. So that's why it's so important to me to try to spread the effect. And, you know, if I don't have to, or if we don't need every single person to be more mindful, but, you know, a certain number and they're going to affect the people around them and then the people around them, and hopefully it will improve exponentially. You are definitely a cosmic leader. Oh, sure. good. I can't want to tell my grandkids. Sure. Yes, tell them. <laughs> um, so your research is still going hot. Yeah. Um, and you have just written or just released this, like, again, one of my, of all your children, probably my favorite. Um, do you have, do you think you got some more books in you? Yeah, um, I think so. But, you know, again, I told you that you can't predict. Right. So I may have the best one still to come. I may never write another word. You know, um, I, I don't know. I, uh, it's a fun activity for me. It, it turns out to be very satisfying. And so um, there's a good chance that I'll write another book, but who knows when. But meanwhile, I'm having wonderful fun focusing on the mindful body. I, I, an interesting thing happened. Uh, not interesting, potentially fun. So... The book is called The Mindful Body, Thinking Our Way to Chronic Health. Now, there's an English edition, English-American, why? <laughs> there is. And the English edition, which is exactly the same, except for the subtitle. And the subtitle of the English edition is, um, the, the title is The Mindful Body, Thinking Our Way to Lasting Health. So I get both of them in the mail, and I felt like I just had fraternal twins. <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, this is funny to me, but like, I totally get the different translations between English and our, our how we speak English. Mm. Um, I was on a German flight and when the German pilot spoke, I could understand what he said. 
Wendy, and then I was on an, uh, a British flight, British Airlines flight, and when the British pilot spoke, I could not understand <laughs> one word he said at all. <laughs> um, Dr. Langer, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, the Mindful Body is a wonderful book. I will put the notes uh, or the links for it in the, in the notes of the show for people that want to purchase it. And if, also a picture of the book. I will. Yes, ma'am. And if people want to continue to follow you and learn more from you, where can they go? What's the best route? Um, you know, Google my name and everything comes up, but uh, my website is ellenlanger.me. Google cosmic leader and <laughs> you will find all you want no, to know. No, but if you put it out there, then eventually they can Google cosmic leader because my guess is there's not going to be much competition. <laughs> I'll see if we can't put it out there. Um, okay. Dr. Langer, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate your time. This was fun. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. Stay well. You too. Thanks for listening, everyone. Now get outside and play.